let it change our lives, Lord. And we have that faith. I pray for the teachers this morning, from this room down through the Sunday school, Lord, that you would anoint them, Lord. Your spirit would come upon them in power, and you would speak to our hearts, Lord. Um, bless us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please greet one another? Good morning, everyone. You can go ahead and take your seats. We have finished the greeting time. It's over now. You may do so later after service. My name is Amy. If we haven't met, I'm part of the staff here at Sierra Bible, and I'm here to welcome you. If you are new this morning or visiting or maybe you're new-ish because you've been here in the last month, we have a gift for you. Uh, It's out in the foyer, and it's at the Connect table. And I want to make sure you know about that. If you haven't received your gift, you can get it after service. You can get up right now and get it, but then everyone will know who you are. So that is up to you, but I want to make sure you know that if you are new, if you are not new, you're all very special as well. I have nothing for you, though. (laughs) Okay, all right. So if you look upon the screen, we have a baby shower coming up. If you're not familiar uh, with our community baby showers, uh, they are something we put on for families that are having their first baby here at Sierra Bible. So they may be having their sixth or ninth baby, but if it's their first one here, we uh, throw you a shower. However, Alana and Lucas are having their very first baby ever. And so we want to welcome their baby in. Uh, We have a baby shower in a couple weeks, and you're welcome to attend. It's just to surround them with community. And for those of you that have lots of family in the area, you know what it's like to be able to rely on that family when you're having new little ones. And of course, we, there's a lot of us that don't have family in the area, and it's really hard sometimes when you don't have that. And so as a community here, um, that is why we have our baby showers. So that's happening in a couple weeks. Also, if you didn't know, it snowed last week. So because of that, our cleanup day, which was scheduled yesterday, did not happen. We did cancel it, and we moved it to this Saturday. So it's going to be this Saturday, April 30th, 8 a.m. to 12. Uh, I believe we're still feeding you. Uh, However, you don't need to sign up for it. You just need to show up. So that's happening this Saturday. And uh, one one more thing I want to let you know about. Uh, We had a car wash a couple weeks ago with Awana. It was also very timely because it snowed the next day as well. Um, But that was to raise funds for Trek and Journey Kids to go to Awana camp this summer. Uh, It was a great turnout, but they're having one more fundraiser in a couple of weeks. So not next Sunday, but the Sunday after that, there'll be a little bit of a rummage sale uh, in the upper parking lot. And so if you have things that you would like to get rid of that are quality, then you can pack those up and get them here, and uh, the kids will sell those, and you will not receive the money. However, you will get rid of your things, and you'll be donating 
to a very good cause. So all of that's happening in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I'm going to have Mike Harrison come up. He is uh, the head of our men's ministries, and we have lots of men's things happening. So he's going to talk about that. Good morning. So um, you know that churchy term, getting plugged in? Well, imagine, so you're, you got a circular saw, and it's corded, and you don't plug it in. How effective is that going to be? That's not going to work. Getting plugged in. I have three ways of, to get you men plugged into ministry at Sierra Bible Church. First one, MAG, Men's Accountability Groups. It's based off of 2 Timothy 4.2, where it says, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. There's groups that meet throughout the week, uh, different times, different places. If you're not in a MAG and you want to be in one, call me. That flyer is uh, above the urinal, so as you're heading out, <laughs> taking care of business, take a picture of it. I'll expect a text later today and get you plugged in. It wasn't that funny. Okay, the next slide. Men's Breakfast, which meets second and fourth Saturdays, has been renamed. It is Band of Brothers Breakfast. It's uh, Bob, Bob's Breakfast or uh, Triple B, whatever. It's, it's a time that made seven and, second and fourth Saturdays. We get awesome food. Craig Forsyth, he provides just, he cooks up an amazing breakfast for us. And then we get into the word. We're in 1 Samuel. It's been a super rich time. So men, that's another way to get plugged in, is uh, the Band of Brothers breakfast, second and fourth Saturdays in Ray Hall. And then the last thing, sorry, we don't have a slide, but hopefully we'll get one up. We are going to be doing a uh, men's retreat. And so there are, it's limited spots. It's June 3rd and 4th, coming home on the 5th. So two nights, Friday, Saturday night, coming home Saturday, Sunday. Uh, limited spots because we're going into the Rubicon. And we're going to be in vehicles that have very limited capacity for gear and for personnel. So it's like backpacking amount of uh, supplies. So uh, probably be sleeping on the ground. Tent, not no tents, uh, but we will be doing food together. Anyway, if you're interested in that, please, my number's up there. Shoot me a text. Give me a call. Let me know if you're interested. And if you have a vehicle that is capable of, of handling the Rubicon and you want to be a driver, again, reach out. We'd love to get some more drivers so that we can uh, take more men. So June 3, 4, and 5, um, let me know. Uh, we'll be kind of promoting this as we get closer. And now, without further ado, Jesse Richardson is going to bring the word. Okay, there are a lot of things happening. Um, we have an app, so download that. There's, like I said, there's quite a bit going on. So in fact, before we even dive in, I want to show you a video uh, of an outreach we have coming up before we get into the Word. Uh, so next Saturday, we're going to clean up. So I want to invite you to come to that, help make this campus look great. Uh, we've set some funds aside. The, the whole building's going to be painted a new fresh color here pretty soon. Uh, and then we're going to handle all our pine needles and raking and all of that. Uh, on Saturday, and then in the afternoon, we have this great event with the Whosoevers. If you're not familiar with them, check out this video real quick, and you can see what we're doing that Saturday afternoon. Montana to Great Falls. Are you sure? Yeah. We're going to pick up Sonny. He's the co-founder of the Whosoevers movement, so this is going to be sick because I haven't been on a Whosoevers tour with them forever. We can't get into schools. Let's 
let's just go to what we know, skate parks and whoever will have us. This is a tour in the middle of the pandemic, so <laughs> these are the uh, obstacles that you're gonna run into. This is our only last day to get the word out for kids. Because tomorrow, yeah. if they don't know it's tomorrow, then they ain't gonna be able to make Absolutely. it. We're gonna get the flyers out to them today, and that goes down tomorrow. The whole community of, Mon of Great Falls, Montana is gonna come out. Everywhere we go, people have heard about it. It's been all over the news, and they all said we're rolling out. With the way y'all talk to us today, it seems like y'all really understand what we go through, you know? So, yeah, this is going to be a great event. We are going to be at the skate park. There is a, uh, a prize, I think a two or $300 prize for the, for the best trick. Andy Finch, if you know him, he blew out his Achilles tendon, so there's a chance for you to win uh, if, if, you, if you come out. Uh, and then we're going to come back here. We're going to feed you over there. We're going to come back here, and they have a premiere, a movie premiere we're going to do. Uh, I don't know if you know who Sonny is. I know who he is from my days in San Diego. Uh, he's one of the band members of P.O.D., uh, which was a real popular band and, and a Christian band out of San Diego. So please uh, invite people, get some kids involved, get your kids involved, and come on out. Uh, and then lastly, I'm going to ask Derek Phillips to come on up here. And some of you might know who Derek is. Some of you may not. Uh, Derek has been part of our church for about 10 years. And uh, we're, <laughs> contrary to uh, uh, popular belief, we are not brothers. Um, we're not related. <laughs> we, are yes, we are brothers in Christ. <laughs> hey, surprise, I got a brother. Um, no, so here's the deal. Derek has produced almost, probably I'd say close to 90%, if not more, of all of our uh, digital content, our graphics, our sermon series. The, the Mark thing you see behind me was designed by Derek. Um, yeah. <clears throat> he has faithfully served in the, the background and produced great content to help you get engaged. And uh, he just recently took a job to work for Dave Ramsey in Tennessee. So he's going to be creating art for Dave, uh, Dave Ramsey. Uh, during his job interview, the first thing they asked was, show me your envelopes. No one uses envelopes anymore. <laughs> that landed so bad. Um, okay, we'll move on from that. I had to cut up my credit cards in front of him. <laughs> he had to cut up his credit cards, yeah. So I want to pray for him. We're going to be um, losing him from Truckee, but he, he uh, sending him out for the greater kingdom. So let's pray for him. And if you get a chance, thank him for his service to us. And uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for Derek. He's been uh, a great friend. Uh, he's been a tremendous servant, Lord. He, uh, in a day and age where so many young men, it seems, are not willing to serve or to dive in to uh, living for your glory, he's been the antithesis of that, Lord. He's lived for your glory. He's created beautiful art for us, and specifically art that m most people probably don't even realize is so tied into your word, into theology and doctrine. And we're thankful for him. We're going to miss him uh, tremendously so. But we give him into your hands, where is where he ultimately belongs, and ask for you to bless him greatly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you. Okay, um, we are in the Gospel of Mark, uh, and so we're going to cover the first eight chapters, eight chapters, eight verses this morning. Um, so <laughs> I might as well be upfront and honest. My, my youngest son, 
right as I fell asleep last night, decided to have some weird dreams, and he slept with us, which means we didn't sleep. And so I'm, I'm working off probably literally just a few hours of sleep. So if I miss a few things like that, be gracious uh, with me. Uh, but God's word will be true uh, to us this morning. And so uh, if you are new um, and uh, or you're visiting, we're glad to have you here. I'm one of the pastors, and uh, as was stated earlier, my name is Jesse, and we have a high regard for God's word, and, and so we have a tradition to just open up our hearts uh, with our bodies in position by standing for the reading of Scripture. And so if you have the ability this morning, would you please join me? Uh, and if, if not, then you stand within your heart, and that is 100% acceptable to Christ as well. Verse 1, chapter 1, the gospel according to Mark. <clears throat> The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. All of the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him, and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey, and he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. And the church said, amen. amen. Maybe seated. Um, so again, to, to give you, let me, actually, let me, let me start with a, uh, a question. When you think of someone you would follow, what do you think of? Or another way to say that is when you think of a good leader, what would you envision in a good leader? I think obviously we've just come out of a, a radical time of, of really considering who governs us and, and who we vote for and who we don't vote for and, and all of that. And, and I know for myself, when I go to pastors' conferences and, and I um, meet other pastors and, and other guys who are in ministry, one of the things that, that I pretty quickly can pick up on is whether or not I would follow a person or not. Uh, and, and literally, I, w- I was down in SoCal, and I think of a few guys that I saw at the conference I was at uh, several weeks ago and, and could clearly state, man, I would follow that guy. Like, I would be a part of his church. Uh, when you think of the kind of person you would follow, who would you follow? Now, remember, I want you to understand something about the context of this particular gospel. Mark wrote it, but Mark wrote it based off of, most likely, the testimony of Peter, who walked with Jesus. You know, the guy who put his foot in his mouth on a regular basis. And as he wrote this book, he wrote it in the context of the time of a guy by the name of Nero, King Nero, if you will, right? The, the, the lead guy. He set himself up, this particular leader, as a man to be followed, but not just a man to be followed, but as a God to be worshipped. Nero saw himself as a type of deity, the king of kings, if you will. And In addition to this, because Christians were following after this other king named Jesus, Nero didn't enjoy that so well, so he began to persecute the church. 
Uh, This book is written around that time as the Christians, this gospel written around that time as Christians are being persecuted under the rule of Nero. Nero was literally taking Christians, basically lighting them on fire for mood lighting for his parties. In addition to that, he would throw Christians into the Colosseum to be murdered and eaten alive by lions to again declare no one is to follow anyone other than me. This is the world that these readers are living in. Now, this particular book, unlike most of the other Gospels, is written specifically to Gentiles, to Roman Christians. That's why within this short Gospel, this Gospel that moves a lot like a comic book, it moves very fast and very rapidly, there's very little prophecy and there is no genealogy of Jesus. For the readers of this book wouldn't necessarily need that to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. We're only given two prophecies here, and these prophecies that exist within uh, that little segment in your Bible, if you're looking, they come from three places. They're actually, uh, they're actually uh, being quoted specifically from Isaiah, Micah, as well as Exodus, and he kind of clumps them all together. For what reason? For what end? To introduce us to a king that is in direct opposition of Caesar as king. Literally what Mark is doing for the persecuted church is he's pitting the worldly king of Nero, the, the worldly king of persecution, against the servant king that is Jesus Christ, who is not a worldly king, but a heavenly king, who has not come to destroy the empire of the world through military might, but rather through service and the gospel of salvation. I have three points for us this morning. The first point will be to bolster who this person is, who this king is, and the promise of this king. It's also to introduce us in point number two to the king's preacher, as we will know, or as we do know him, as John the Baptist. And then lastly, the primacy of this king, Jesus. It starts like this in verse one, the beginning Just as simple, just as easy as the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word dwelt amongst us, tabernacled amongst us. It's it's echoing back to a whole new start. This is quite amazing. If you read the other gospels, it takes Matthew about 16 verses to get to the point. 16 verses in the beginning of that gospel to get to the point that Jesus is king. And Luke, Luke uses about 82 words to get to the point that Jesus is the savior of all men. And John uses 17 mystical kind of words to get to the point that Jesus is the son of God. Here in Mark, one sentence, 12 simple words. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Boom. Right? How many of you like comic books? That simple. This is the gospel. This is the beginning. It echoes back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, the Spirit hovered over the waters. In the beginning, there was perfection. In the beginning, there was sinlessness. In the beginning was a fresh breeze and a beautiful garden. In the beginning was relationship and connection and intimacy with Yahweh. Sin enters the world. It fractures these things. The the people of Israel then drawn into the wilderness to repent of their sin in the hopes of a new land and a new promise, the promised land. And here we are. We're being introduced to a whole new genre, the Gospels, the Gospel. 
a whole new beginning for mankind, a whole new reconciliation to God. It would take the reader back into Genesis, back into the beginning, back into the newness, back into the garden. This is your chance to be reconciled to God, the good news. Again, this word good news means glad tidings or, or good tidings. And it doesn't specifically speak of a book. It's specifically speaking of a message. This word gospel would have uh, meant something to the Greek and Roman readers because this word good news was used for the victory of a military battle. Out in the battlefield, the, the war would be won, the battle would be won, and a messenger would go back to his people and say, I have good news. The battle's been won, the victory. We, we, we've defeated the enemy. But specifically, this good news isn't just about the good news, but the object of the good news. And who is the object? Jesus. Christ. The Son of God. He is the object of our salvation. That word Jesus is, is, literally means Yahweh is salvation. Christ means anointed one or Messiah. And then Son of God. What about that term? It's an amazing term. In fact, it's, it's the, uh, the term that Mark uses the most to identify this king, to show us this king who is better than any other worldly king in existence. Now, I don't have time to break all of these down. Some of them are as early as chapter 1, verse 11, and obviously all the way to the end to Mark chapter 15, verse 39. But I want you to see something out of these verses. If you just take a few moments to kind of look at them, and if you don't have enough time or if you're, you're not paying attention, I'll describe to you what I see within these texts. There's something that's peculiar absent from these verses. The first one is that nowhere in these verses do the disciples recognize Jesus as the Son of God. Well, let me define this idea of Son of God just so we're uh, all on the same page. This particular definition literally is speaking of the reality that Jesus has come from God and that Jesus is co-eternal with God and is unparalleled in his relationship with God. Literally what Mark is doing is saying that Jesus and God are co-eternal and co-equal. This is a major term for this king, for this Messiah that has come on the scene very rapidly in contrast of the worldly leaders. Now here's the first thing to note if you've taken some time now to look at these verses. Nowhere do the disciples recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, what we'll see as we tease out the rest of this book is the disciples are amazed. We will see that word occur often. They are confused. They are taken aback. They are not quite sure what Jesus is saying, especially in regards to his death and his resurrection. They're unsure. And we know that later the disciples will get it. But what's really interesting, if, if again, you're just looking at this text and you're saying, who sees in this book? Who recognizes the kingship and the authority, the, the co-eternality and the co-equalness of the Savior that is Jesus? The first one, demons. The demons recognize that Jesus is this Son of God. Chapter 3, verse 11, when unclean spirits saw him, they fell down. We see it in one other place. And then lastly, not only the demons recognize who Jesus is, there's one last individual who really grasps it and gets it, and it's in 
It's in Mark chapter 15, verse 39, which would mean something to the readers of this book, the, the Roman leader, readers of this book. The last one is a Roman soldier at the crucifixion of Jesus. As he sees Jesus dying on the cross, he says, surely this man was the Son of God. I think this brings us great hope in regards to understanding the person of the king and how this person of the king gets to us into our hearts. For if the disciples who were closest to Jesus failed to see it, and if those who were furthest off grasped to see it, there's still hope for those who are the farthest off from us to still see that Jesus is the Son of God. There's still hope for that person that you prayed for last week or that gal or that guy who came to Easter Sunday last week. There's still hope that Jesus will reveal to them that he is the Son of God, the only true king to be followed. On a Good Friday, Mavis brought her uh, son and her daughter-in-law and their son and their son's friend that they had been sharing the gospel with. Where do they live, Mavis? In, uh, Los Angeles. In Los Angeles. How old is he? How old was the... the... 14. 14-year-old boy comes up after the service. He's been going to church with his, his family. What was his name? Blake. Blake. Mavis knows all things. That's what happens when, you, when you've... Oh, I was going to say something disrespectful. <laughs> But he gave his life to Jesus on Friday night. They'd been praying for him. They'd been reaching out for him. He gave his life to Christ. <clears throat> so this is the person. This is the king. He's unparalleled. He's greater than any earthly king. Even, even though he's not on the throne of Caesar, he is on the throne. As I shared with the first service, the incredible news in contrast of this week with last week is that the tomb is still empty and the throne is occupied. And it's occupied by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is who he is. And then Mark shares for us these prophecies from Exodus 23, verse 20, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and Isaiah 40, verse 3. I've got the two on there. Now, this is really common that when, when one quoted the Old Testament, they wouldn't use a chapter or a verse. I don't know if you know this or not, but the, the chapters and the verses were added later for our benefit of study and going back and, and for like-mindedness to say, everyone just go here to this chapter and this verse. So it was often just that they would quote a prophet or quote a scroll or, or quote this old, old known uh, prophet or, or, or judge or king or what have you. And so Mark does this. And what he does is he takes these three verses and he clumps them all together. And these three verses tell us about the fulfilled promise to come of the promised Messiah, but also the promised preacher of the king. There was going to come, someone was going to come to prepare the way. Let's read from these verses together. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then Isaiah 40 adds to that. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. These are incredible verses, let me share with you why. One might say, okay, Jesse, you, you, you've... you've told me that I need to follow this king that is in contrast 
of Nero, but nowhere in the text does it specifically say that Jesus is king. But ahaha! The prophecies do. And you say, well, how do the prophecies say that? For the readers, they would have known that when a king entered from place A into place B, when he would travel, per se, if there was a king in Nevada and he was going to come and visit us in Truckee, he would send before himself a messenger to prepare the way of the king. That word that's used in here, make his path straight, literally the job of the herald, the job of the king was to go towards the path, remove the sticks and the stones, roll them aside, pat the path down that the king would have easier travel into his location. For those of you who like to hike and you like, like to mountain bike, you will know that at a certain point here in, in just a few weeks, someone will go through the 06 trail, they'll go through the, the other trails in the community and they'll begin to cut down but paths where trees have fallen so that you and I can have a glorious time in the wilderness. This is exactly what he's saying. Behold, there's a king who's coming. And God has prophesied a preacher, a messenger, a herald to clear the way, to clear the path of any obstacles so that when the real king shows up, everyone's hearts will be ready to receive the king's message. He's preparing the hearts. But it goes so much deeper than that, so much more beautiful than that. Because this man, who is John the Baptist, who just appears on the scene, he actually tells us something really interesting by driving or having people go out into the wilderness. It's really quite interesting. Let's just talk about the preacher for a moment. I know this is kind of a, a little bit more into my third point, the, the king's preacher. But this preacher's job is to reveal the need for a king. This preacher literally shows up on the scene and we're told he's wearing a hair shirt with a leather strap. He has most likely a large beard and, and he, his diet is locusts and honey, which were prevalent in the desert. One commentator says, in regards to John the Baptist, this man is fitting for a biblical Bigfoot, a spiritual Sasquatch. Imagine flaming hair, steely eyes, a chiseled face, and a wiry body wound as tightly as a coiled spring. What an image fitting for a prophet and magnetic with a crowd. John the Baptist is perfect. He would be perfect in a media age like ours when style is all important. This particular author went on to say, not Lady Gaga, but John Gaga. If you remember, Lady Gaga several years back made quite a bit of news by wearing a meat dress. Well, this is a hair dress. And he shows up on the scene preparing the way of this king. This man is dressed in the antithesis of the culture. This is not a normal thing to do. Right? Society is in Jerusalem and in Judea. John is literally preaching what we're told in a desolate place, in the wilderness. And the wilderness, just so we're aware, from Judea to Jerusalem to the Jordan River is about a 20-mile hike with about a 4,000 to a 6,000-foot elevation change. 20 miles there, 4,000 feet down. You are hearing the message of John the Baptist to prepare your heart for the king. And then you go back home, 20 miles up, another 4,000 elevation, to let that settle into your heart about who this man is that John is sharing about. Why is this important? Remember, 
In Genesis, we had in the beginning. Well, what happened to the people of Israel in the book of Exodus? They realize with Pharaoh that they're in bondage of Pharaoh. They realize that they have no freedom within Pharaoh. And so God sends a messenger by the name of Moses to bring them out from that place, out from Egypt, into the wilderness for 40 years, a place of repentance and a place to be purged of oneself, but with the promise of a new promised land of milk and honey. What is Mark telling us with this man, John the Baptist? What is John the Baptist sharing with his people about who this man is? He's literally calling his people back out into the wilderness for the repentance of sins, for the purging of of bondage from the world of Jerusalem and from the world's sin and the world's ugliness and the world's shame. And he's calling them to the wilderness to hear the message of God that they will then have their hearts ready to step into the person of the promised land. The promise of milk and honey and peace and riches is not just in the land, but in Jesus himself. That is what John is preparing his people for. And so they're called out and it tells us, it's it's a little bit of hyperbole because I'm sure it wasn't everybody, but if you look at the text, what does it say? All the country of Judea, all the country of Jerusalem were being drawn out into the desert to hear from this king's herald and preacher to prepare our hearts for the Messiah, to announce the coming of one that is greater than him. How beautiful is that? It is said by many theologians that it's quite possible that, that John the Baptist probably had about 300,000 converts. This is our first evangelist. And he doesn't dress like the rest of the world or talk like the rest of the world. He looks different. He acts different. He eats different. There's nothing about this guy that is normal. Even in the text of this day, this is not a normal thing to do. I don't know if you've ever worn camel's hair. It's not comfortable. And as they listen to this preacher preach, The king's herald, the king's preacher, what does he preach? Well, the text tells us he preaches repentance. What prepares the people to receive Jesus Christ is the message of repentance. That literally means repentance is a change of mind, a a change of thinking. The physical act of leaving, leaving Jerusalem and going to the desert is a physical act to show us what is spiritually true. In order to follow Jesus one is going to have to turn their back on the culture, turn their back on the culture's message, turn their back on the culture's view of hope and salvation, turn their back even towards looking towards earthly leaders to solve heaven's problems and to begin to set one's face towards the only one who can fix all, which is Jesus. All of us at some point have to understand that that it's quite possible that there are things in our life, there are roadblocks, there are stumbling blocks, there there are things on the path to Jesus that may be hindering us to come to Jesus. What are those things? Not just for salvation, but also sanctification which is a process of our Christian growth, that that God would call you away from Jerusalem, away from the culture, and away from the cultural message and remove those things of sin that you would be at peace with the promised one that is Jesus. The way of the Lord is the way of repentance, turning away from sin to righteousness. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16, I think gives us a great visual 
a great verse of what repentance looks like. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Get rid of sin. Cease, he says, to do evil. Learn to do good. Right? He tells us that which we're to put our backs against. Turn away from the evil deeds. Turn away from that which is sinful. And then there's an action. Learn to do good. Hey, church, this is why we do discipleship. This is why we have women's studies. This is why we have men's groups. This is why we continue to do things and become better and better in regards to our study of biblical truth so that we can learn to do good. Come on now, is that an easy thing to do? You don't have to teach anyone to do evil. This shows us that there is an action that needs to take place in our growth with Jesus to learn to do good. That's the first word. The second one, seek justice. Look for that which is right and do it. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Now, if you're looking at the verse closely enough, you can see there's an action, but that action is not possible without the washing of, of sin, which only can happen through Jesus. 20-mile journey from Jerusalem to Judea to hear the most popular message in the Christian church today. Repentance. I mean, can we be honest? This is not a word that preachers today want to share because it requires you to confess that you have need of a Savior. It requires you to confess that you have evil within you. It requires you to admit you have a great need. And if we dive deeper into the other Gospels, we don't have time to dive into all of Luke chapter 6, but Luke gives us in chapter 3, I'm sorry, more detail in John the Baptist's message. Take notice with it. First of all, verse 8, he says, Bear, I'm sorry, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Who's he speaking to there? Well, if you look at the previous verse, it's the brood of vipers he's speaking to. Who's the brood of vipers? It's the Pharisees. It's the religious guys. Go to verse 10 on here if you can read it with me. Whoever has two tunics, share with him who has none. Who's whoever? Who's whoever? Y'all. You all is whoever. Whoever is whoever. Then he goes to verse 12. Tax collectors, they also came to be baptized. Who's making this 20-mile journey? The Pharisees. The whoevers, they're coming next week. The whosoevers. The tax collectors. And John the Baptist is telling every single one of them to repent of their sinful actions. And then he adds to that verse 14, the Roman soldiers. Literally, John's message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins is the religious, the crowds, the tax collectors, and the soldiers. He's including everybody. He's saying to those in the church, the church alone cannot save you. Your religious exterior actions don't mean that you are a Christian. They do not mean that you are saved. They do not mean that you know this king. 
You can tithe and still not know Jesus. You can come to church and still not know Jesus. You can serve in Sunday school, still not know Jesus. You can even love your neighbor and not know Jesus. Religion doesn't save you. But in addition to that, he calls out those who are in political positions. He calls out those who are of the everyday. He calls out the bullies. He calls out the tough guys. All of you should repent. The message of repentance is unbiased and for all people in all places, everywhere, for all time. How does one prepare for this coming king? How do we prepare our hearts for this Christ? By admitting we are sinners and confessing that we have sin and receiving Jesus in faith. In fact, it's right there in this passage. If you notice, he preaches repentance. And back in Mark, he literally tells us here that they came out in verse 5, confessing their sins. This is crazy. Literally what was happening, the droves, the crowds, are coming from Jerusalem to Judea, Judea, confessing their sins. And you know what this word literally means, confessing their sin? It means to agree, to publicly agree with God. To publicly agree with God on what? Everything. Everything. To call what God calls good, good. And to call what God calls evil, evil. To live according to God's purposes and according to God's plans. To have a high view of living for God's glory. To have a high view of raising children who love Jesus Christ. Having a high view of having a wife who understands what it is to love her husband and respect him. And for a husband to live in a way that he's willing to sacrifice for his wife. And having a church that isn't living for itself but living for the glory of God. And for others to know the goodness of God. This are, those are just a few of the things of what it means to agree with the Lord. And so this man, this preacher's message is really interesting, which leads us into our third point, the preeminence of this king. But John the Baptist actually confesses a couple things in his preaching. He says a few things that are quite powerful, very mighty. If you look at verse 7, in verse 7, he says of this king that he is removing the stones and the roadblocks for. He preached saying, one is coming after me who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. You see, John the Baptist is saying of the preeminence of this Jesus, this Christ, this king of kings, this spiritual king. He, he's saying and confessing, I'm not even worthy to untie this man's sandal. Now to the readers, this would have meant even more to us than today for the untying of one's sandals was deemed so low that even it may be below that of a slave or a servant. Feet were a very dirty kind of thing. That's why when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, it was like, whoa, what are you doing? Here John is saying, I am so unworthy. I, I have the message of salvation and I have a message of repentance and I have a message of this coming king but when this king shows up I'm not worthy to even touch his dirty toes John puts all the focus on Jesus I'm not worthy to untie this man 
In verse 8 and verse 9, we see that Jesus shows up on the scene, and instead of, 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 of Jesus serving John, Jesus says to John, you will baptize me. But John shares a more fitting message here. He, he essentially saying, not only, not only can I not touch his sandals, but look at what he says in verse 8. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You know what John's saying? Again, he's just saying, all I'm doing is preparing you. I can dunk you in the water and I can call you to repentance and you confess your sin and your body as you come up out of the water, your body will be clean. But what he's saying in regards to the Holy Spirit is I'm not the one who can cleanse your soul. I'm preparing you for the one who will baptize you with the Spirit that will cleanse you from all your internal darkness, all your internal shame, all your internal guilt. I don't have the ability to do that. Only Jesus does. Amen. He takes the attention off of himself as a man. You have a man with 300,000 converts, a man where all of Jerusalem and Judea is coming out to see him. He seems to be a charismatic figure who looks different and acts different. He is a guy that would go viral on any social media platform. And this man, instead of taking the attention and taking the focus, would later say, I must decrease that he would increase. And we know later, and we'll see later in this book, he does. John the Baptist will lose his head for the gospel, for this king. His head will be removed from him. Under prison and under duress, he literally sends his disciples to Jesus. He says, are you really the Messiah? You got to tell me. You know what John the Baptist is asking of Jesus? I'm in prison. Will you save me? And instead of sending disciples, instead of sending a legion of angels to save him, he says, tell John the Baptist the, the lame walk, the blind see. He's basically telling John, I am the Savior, but I'm not coming to save you, for you will die for my glory. How does that work out for the gospel message? Follow Jesus and literally lose your head. This is why when the Bible says, take up your cross daily, John the Baptist was that kind of man. And instead of taking that attention and focus, he puts it back on Christ. Which leads us to our application. Chuck Swindoll actually says this of John the Baptist. He says, these verses concerning John give us the profile of a strange evangelist. Indeed, in John the Baptist, we see a character and a life worth emulating. The great thing is that when we do start living like John the Baptist, we end up looking a lot more like Jesus Christ in our own lives. So we can look at John the Baptist and say simply, first of all, so you understand the way that this particular passage is working. It's working in verses 1 down to verse, uh, down to verse 8 and 9 to build us back up into the main thrust of the text, which is that this is not about John the Baptist. This is about the preeminent king, Jesus Christ. Everything within this passage is screaming that one must give their life to Jesus if they truly want to be reconciled to God the Father, who is the ultimate king, and if they ultimately want to have the forgiveness of sins. All of these things bolster the argument that one must know Jesus. And like John the Baptist, we are called to be faithful in a countercultural way. We are to preach 
the confession of, confession of sin and change, even in the face of great criticism. We live in a day where being criticized is the norm. Being silenced, being canceled is the norm. And as we continue to preach this message of salvation, this message of forgiveness, this king of kings, the culture will do everything it can to silence you and to shut you up and to cancel you. And when the culture does that, remember that Jesus Christ has your back. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. John the Baptist was also unbiased in his message. This reality of having this one true king is true for every age group and every person. And like John the Baptist, we should have a humbleness of heart. It's crazy. This guy shows up in the scene in Mark. We don't have any credentials for him. We don't see if he studied in a formal school. He obviously wasn't friends with the, the rabbis and the Pharisees of the day because he called them brood of vipers. That's not a great way to make friends. He wore funny clothing and he ate weird food. And he lived in the desert. He was humble in all of his actions. In addition to that, he was humble in his preaching, letting his people know that he could not wash them, only Jesus can. And can, can we just share as we begin to conclude here in a few moments, what the church needs more of is more background, more behind-the-scenes kind of preachers. I like how Henry Nowen says it and how J.C. Ryle says it. My, I have to pull up on my phone the correct quote because this is wrong on the top here. I, I messed it up. I think it is at least. Here's what uh, Henry Nowen says. He says, He believes the Christian leader of the future is called to be completely irrelevant and to stand in this world with nothing to offer but his or, his, his or her own vulnerable self. And that is the way Jesus Christ came to reveal God's love. Henry Nowen's argument is basically to say, you know what, you know what the Christian community and the Christian culture needs less of? Celebrity pastors. Viral guys on YouTube with 100,000 followers. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not great preachers out there but, but, and that there's not great guys to listen to and great guys to read, but can we just say that man was never intended to have large followings? That is just a recipe for disaster. I mean, I actually pray against anything I've ever said going viral. In the last couple months, I've actually thought, you know what would probably be the healthiest thing for our church and the rest of the world is to delete the last five years of all the messages I've preached, to just get rid of them, to not have them on YouTube, just so that way someone can't go back and criticize, but also so someone can't go back and go and make that viral, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I become this unknown guy in Truckee, Tahoe, California, and then all of a sudden, all these hundreds of thousands of people know who I am, and either my head gets big or I get crushed because of how much people say I suck. <laughs> it can go both ways. Mankind was not meant to deal with such criticisms and they were not meant to deal with such popular connotations that you would be sat on high and sat on the throne. That's not what we need. We need men who are willing to be humble in smaller communities and even in their cities and to be faithful preachers year in and year out declaring and proclaiming that the Jesus of the Bible is the Savior. Men who will go through it no matter what, no matter the pain, no matter the gain, but they are not there to bolster their own profiles, 
but they're there to lift up the king, the Christ. My job is to just prepare the way. I can preach into your auditory ear, but it is only the Holy Spirit who can baptize and renew your heart. J.C. Ryle says the principal work of every faithful minister of the gospel is to set the Lord Jesus Christ fully before his people to show them his fullness and his power to save. And the next great work he has to do is to set before them the work of the Holy Spirit and the need of being born again and inwardly baptized by his grace. These two mighty truths appear to have been frequently on the lips of John the Baptist and it would be well for the church and the world if there were more ministers like him. Genuine men who are fearless in the face of opposition and culture to faithfully love God's people by putting the attention and the focus on this preeminent king. There is one day one coming mightier than I whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. The second advent of Christ is before us oh so very soon, but in the blink of an eye. Jesus Christ will save you and I. Amen? Amen. This is the message at the beginning of Mark. There is a king who is prepared to come. He has come with the message of salvation. Accept it now. Allow him to be that preeminent king in your life. And then be used by him to prepare the way for others to come to know him because that king is coming again for us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful to be king no matter what is going on in our lives. You are on the throne. As you sit down next to the right hand of the Father, No one can usurp you. No one is more powerful than you. And Lord, thank you that not only are you faithful to be the king, but you are faithful as a king to send preachers to hear the word of God, that by hearing they would be saved. And thank you that those preachers who are faithful do not put a focus on themselves, but put the focus on the preeminent king that you are in Jesus. We pray for our community here, first and foremost, that you would be made famous as king here, and that for all the churches that have met on this Sunday in this area, that they too would be filled with your Holy Spirit to put all the attention on you, not on their own mission, not on their own vision, not on their own theology, not on their own doctrine, but on the person who is God on Jesus Christ. Thank you for being faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys stand with me?